Way to put the pressure on, right? Dang. All right. We'll see what happens. In 2006, four young men wanted to set everyone free to express their emotions and their opinions online through something called Twitter. Sound familiar? This past May, uh, it would have been 11 years, the New York Times did this article and they asked the question, how's it going? How's this Twitter thing going? Well, while Donald Trump might say, it's great, it's really great. Um, that was a really bad impersonation, but usually I'm pretty good at impersonations. Um, but one of the founders, one of these guys, his name is Evan Williams, um, he said, I think the internet is broken. And the article talked about all the negative, bad, hurtful, abusive ways that social media is being used. And Evan Williams said this. He said, I thought once everybody could speak freely and exchange information and ideas, the world is automatically going to be a better place. And he said, I was wrong about that. I was wrong about that. So the title of today's message is Freedom of Speech, but I don't want to confuse you. I don't want to mislead you right off the bat here. This message is not about our constitutional rights or civil liberties. There's nothing political in this at all. It's all personal, very personal. It simply is a, a message for us, about us, you and me, and how we use this incredible gift of speech that the creator of the universe has given us to communicate to one another. You see, freedom of speech, that's not the problem. The problem is how we use this freedom that's been given to us. The internet isn't broken. We're broken. In the New Testament, the book of James, um, James is actually the half-brother of Jesus, and he had a lot to say about our speech and in one place he says, with our tongue we give thanks to our Father in heaven, and with our tongue we speak bad words against men who are made like God. He's referring to Genesis when it says, Genesis where it says humans are created in the image of God, our creator. He says, giving thanks and speaking bad words come from the same mouth. Our creator, he has given us this incredible gift of speech, the use of words to communicate with one another. And with this gift comes freedom just like all the good things that God gives to us. We have the freedom. We have freedom to choose how we will use this gift. And in Proverbs 18, 21, it says this. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. You see, we are free to speak good words in good ways that will help and heal and bless people life. And we are free to speak bad words in bad ways that will hurt and harm and destroy death. James said, with our tongue, we speak bad words against people who are made in the creator's image, our God's image, bad words. Well, what's, what is James talking about? Well, let's just begin this message by taking a moment to just kind of unpack everything that I think James is referring to when he says bad words. Let's identify the scope of this problem, okay? The scope of our brokenness. Look at this. Galatians 5 says this. Instead of showing love among yourselves, you are always critical and you're catty. Catty is to be deliberately hurtful in one's remarks. In another place, Galatians says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, nature the results are very clear. Among, these, among it is these things, hostility, quarreling, outbursts of anger, you know, those verbal attacks, complaints and criticisms. First Peter says this, says, don't insult anyone to pay them back for insulting you. Never, no sharp tongue sar sarcasm. Avoid saying anything 
that is hurtful. Proverbs 12, some people like to make cutting remarks. That's actually the definition of sarcasm. That's what it does. It cuts. It wounds. Ephesians 4, harsh words should have no place in your lives. Romans 1, when they gave God up, it's speaking of human beings who've turned away from God. It says their lives become full of every kind of wickedness and sin. Well, what kind of sin? Well, there's a list of things, but among them are lying, bitterness, bitter words, and gossip. Romans 3, their talk is foul and filthy like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are loaded with lies. Their mouths are full of cursing. And finally, Colossians, you must rid yourself of all such things as slander, to use words to to ruin someone's reputation, and filthy language. There it is. There's the scope of our speech problem, the scope of our broken way of communicating. We use this beautiful gift of speech given to us by our creator for, for that, speech that hurts. And it cuts, and it wounds, it inflicts pain, it tears down, it demeans, it's deceptive, it destroys. Let's look at that list one more time. Let's see it all together. Let's just take a good look at it. Because my guess is that as we look at this list, one or more of those hurtful, bad word ways kind of jumps out at us. In kind of a personal way, you know, we recognize certain ones as being our greatest problem when it comes to our speech. I heard about these three preachers that went on a fishing trip, and one of them suggested that what they do while they're away is that they confess their biggest sins, and then they pray for each other. And so the first one spoke up, and he confessed that his biggest sin was that he liked to go to the racetrack and bet on the horses. He was a gambler. And then the second confessed that he just was just so envious of his neighbor. His neighbor had really nice stuff, and he just struggled with just all these feelings of envy. And so they turned to the third preacher, and they said, Brother, what is your biggest sin? And with a grin, he said, My biggest sin is gossiping. (laughs) So what about you? And what about me? I mean, what is our biggest speech problem from that list? And are we able to see it and admit it to ourselves as we sit here today? Or do we suffer from something, another problem that I call minimizitis? Minimizitis. It's a spiritual condition whereby we don't properly address or fix a problem because we're too busy minimizing it. Oh, I'm not critical. I just, I just tell it like it is. You know, well, I only lie when it's necessary. And, you know, in the business world, man, you just got to, you know, you got to lie sometimes. It's not really gossip if, if I'm explaining how someone needs prayer, Right? I was only joking. Don't be so sensitive. You're so overly sensitive. Minimize-itis. We can't fix the problem because we minimize it. And we minimize the negative impact it's having on others. And we even minimize the grip that it has on us. There's a Rabbi Joseph Telushkin is the author of a book called Words That Hurt, Words That Heal. And he lectures regularly uh, on the powerful often negative impact of words. And so he says that he often asks his audience, can they go 24 hours without saying any unkind words either about or to another person? And he says the typical response he gets is that everybody laughs. And then some even shout out, no way. And so Telushkin responds and he says, those who can't answer yes must recognize that, that you have a serious problem. 
You see, he explains that we, if we can't go 24 hours without drinking liquor, then we're addicted to alcohol. If we can't go 24 hours without uh, smoking a cigarette, we're addicted to nicotine. So if we can't go 24 hours with saying unkind words, perhaps we're addicted to negative words. One of my favorite TV shows is The Big Bang Theory. I love Big Bang. And uh, in it, there's two characters, Penny and Sheldon. And Penny drives this car that is, des is in desperate need of some repair. And so her check engine light is on, and it drives Sheldon crazy. Because Sheldon, you know, he points it out to your check engine light's on. She says, oh, it's fine. It's been on for like a month. And Sheldon's response is, okay, well, that's actually all the more reason you need to get your engine checked. And Penny's response, oh, it's fine. I, I think the light's just broken. The light's just broken. And sometimes you and I, we go through life thinking, nothing's wrong. It's all good. Even though the warning light is flashing right in front of us. You know, and everybody else sees it. And they're like, hey, you going to fix that problem? <laughs> like, what problem? Light's just broke. We can't fix what we won't admit is broken. And fixing the problem, it begins with owning the problem. You see, we will never be able to break its power until we truly own it. And I'm not talking about just kind of like, okay, yeah, I got a problem. I'm talking about an honest, deep confession of the soul. You know, I'm talking about that where you kind of just feel the weight of this problem, how serious this issue is. We will never break its power until we truly own it. But once we own it, then we can find the help that we need to overcome it and to get on this path of, of uh, healing and wholeness. The Apostle Paul, he owned his brokenness this way, as recorded in Romans 7. He says, I can't explain my actions. Here's why. He says, I'm not able to do the things I want, the good things that I know I need to do and I want to do. I can't, I can't seem to do those things. And at the same time, I do the things I despise. And then he goes on, he says, what a miserable person I am. He owned it. He felt the weight of it. And he says, who will rescue me? And then the answer is his own question. Thank God, Jesus Christ will rescue me. You know, in churches all over the world, churches, Christian churches talk about how Jesus saves us. And unfortunately, the meaning of that has gotten so watered down. Randy speaks to this all the time. He just tries to drive it home to us what it really means to be saved. Because people tend to think it's about nothing more about what happens when I die. You know, Jesus saves me means when I die, I get to go to heaven. And it's nothing more than that. But salvation, oh, it is so much more. It isn't just about what happens when I die. It is very much about what happens to me right now in this life, here and now. You see, Jesus wants to rescue us now from a way of life that is completely destructive, one that is detrimental to us and it's detrimental to other people. It hurts us and it hurts others. Salvation is about coming to my senses and I'm just realizing what the scriptures teach is absolutely true, that Jesus Christ, the one who died on a cross to demonstrate his love and he was resurrected from the dead to demonstrate his power over all things. He is the creator of the universe. The scripture says that I was made by Christ. He's the creator and I was made for him. And it says that my life is meant to be lived with him, trusting and following his ways. Because they are good. 
They are the way that I was designed to live, created to live, and they bring about my health and my wholeness and my true happiness in this life. That's what it means to be a Christian, to turn back to our creator and trust and choose to follow his good and his loving ways, to be rescued, rescued from a destructive life, one that hurts me and hurts others in the process as well. So you see, owning, owning admits that we have a serious problem, and it acknowledges that our only source of hope and help is through our creator, Christ Jesus. But once we own it, once we own it, the creator begins to rescue us. And one of the ways he does that is by helping us understand the origin of our problem, where it all originates. And you see, here's what our creator says about where our speech problem originates. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus said these words. He said, the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. I think Jesus is teaching something called the principle of overflow. And I'm going to demonstrate to you now the principle of overflow, okay? Here's how it works. See, I've got a nice bottle of orange juice. This has not been opened. This is, look, I'm going to show you. It's sealed. Watch closely, okay? This is pretty amazing. Here comes the lid. Okay. Principle of overflow. It's going to start right now. Are you watching? Watching? Okay, watch this. Did you catch it? Did you see what happened? Okay, I got a question for you. Why is there orange juice in that glass? Well, why isn't there milk in the glass? Why isn't there Pepsi in the glass? There's orange juice in the glass because... Orange juice is what was in the container. Isn't that brilliant? It's the principle of overflow. Thank you. Thank you. That's my magic trick. And Jesus says that this principle of overflow applies to our speech. What we say is simply what we pour from our hearts. We can't separate the two. The words that come from our mouths, gossip, Lies, slander, sarcastic, cutting remarks, hurtful words, insults, filthy language, cursing, they come, they come from our hearts. That's something to really think about, isn't it? In Luke, the Gospel of Luke, Jesus said this. He said, a person full of goodness in his heart produces good things. And a person with an evil reservoir in his heart pours out evil things. The heart overflows in the words a person speaks Your words reveal what's within your heart. Here's something I found really kind of interesting, fascinating. There's a social psychologist named James Pennebaker, and he has spent years searching the significance of our words. And he is not coming from a Christian perspective at all. And I'm guessing he has no idea that Jesus has already taught on this overflow principle. But in his book, The Secret Life of Pronouns, he explains how he and a team of grad students developed this sophisticated computer program that analyzes what our words say about us. Based on his research, Penny Baker claims that the words we generate over a lifetime are like fingerprints. Isn't that fascinating? Even small words, or what he calls stealth words, like pronouns such as I, you, we, they, and then prepositions, to, for, over, he says they broadcast the kind of people we are. Based on his research, 
He says we don't randomly choose our words. Instead, words reveal the condition of our hearts. Or as Penna Baker says, words act like powerful tools to excavate people's thoughts, feelings, motivations, and connections with others. 2,000 years ago, when Jesus walked on the planet, our creator said the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. You see, the problem we need to own, it's not a speech problem. It's a heart problem. Does this mean we have bad hearts, you know, that, that we're just nasty, mean, cruel, evil people? No, not at all. We don't have bad hearts. We have broken hearts. We're not mean people. We're hurting people. Have you ever heard it said before that hurt people hurt people? You know, people who, who are hurt, they go about hurting other people. Hurtful words simply reveal a heart that's been hurt, wounded, broken in some way. But the good news is that, that Christ, our creator, he heals the brokenhearted. In Psalm 147, it says, he heals those who have a broken heart. He heals their sorrows. And there are all kinds of ways, don't we know, that a heart can be broken, right? And often, often it's by hurtful words that were spoken to us by someone else. But our God wants to heal our broken and hurt hearts. In Proverbs 27, 9, boy, it tells us too just how important it is that we allow God to do this work of healing in our hearts. It says this, it says, just as water reflects a person's true face, so the human heart reflects a person's true character. So let's stop and think and kind of put all this together because I, I realize it's sort of like a math kind of thing. And I asked the first service this question. I don't know if this is uh, geometry or algebra. If you say, if A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. Okay, so which one is it? Okay, last service, half of them said algebra, half of them said geometry. So apparently the math people are here in their service. <laughs> but it works, it, it works the same way. Look at this. If my words reflect my heart, and if my heart reflects my character, then what does that mean? It says my words reflect my character, who I really am. Now, there's something to think about too, isn't it? What is my speech saying about who I really am? You know, not who I think I am, not who I say that I am, but who I really am. What is my speech saying about who I really am? And what does your speech say about who you really are? Now, let me give you something else to really think about. Okay, this, another study. Check this out. According to a new study, people who tell small self-serving lies are likely to progress to bigger falsehoods. And over time, the brain appears to adapt to the dishonesty. Participants in this study, they were asked to advise a partner in another room about how many pennies were in a jar. And when the subjects believed that lying about the amount of money was to their benefit, they were more inclined to be dishonest. Isn't that what lying is about? How will this benefit me? And then it says their lies escalated over time. It said as lying increased, the response in the brain, the part called the amygdala, decreased. And the size of the decline from one trial to another predicted how much bigger a subject's next lie would be. Listen to this. It said the findings suggest 
that the negative emotional signals associated with lying decrease as the brain becomes desensitized. I thought about that, and I wonder, I wonder if similar studies were done, would they show something like this, that the negative emotional signals associated with gossip and slander decrease as the brain becomes desensitized. The negative emotional signals associated with harsh words and cutting sarcasm decrease as the brain becomes desensitized. I wonder if the negative emotional signals associated with foul, filthy language decrease as the brain becomes desensitized. You see, apparently, not only do our words reflect our character, but they also have the power to form our character to change us, to change our brains. That's something to really think about, isn't it? So we've been talking a lot about us, how it impacts us, but we also need folks to acknowledge the seriousness of this problem in terms of its impact on other people. And James spoke to that too. He says, A tiny rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot wants it to go, even through the winds, even though the winds are strong. So a tiny little rudder on a ship, you know, moves this massive ship in certain directions. So also the tongue is a small thing, but what enormous damage it can do. Now I bet at some point in our lives, we can all point to a time when something was spoken to us um, and it did some damage, perhaps some serious damage, perhaps enormous damage. When I was about 12 years old, my grandfather, he, um, he called me stupid. And just to punctuate it, he actually used an adverb that began with an F in front of the word stupid. It did enormous damage. It wounded me at a very deep soul level. It left me with a hurt and broken heart for a long time. Proverbs 15 says this. It says, cutting words wound and they maim. And I'll bet many of you can remember a time in your life when cutting words did just that. They wounded you and they maimed your soul. And I'm sure many of your stories are, are much worse than mine. We have all been wounded by the words of, that came from someone else at some point in our lives. But here's the really sad part, I think, even more sad than that. Unfortunately, the likelihood is that we also have wounded others with our words. You know, our words have done some enormous damage to someone else. They've done enormous damage to a relationship. Cutting words, wound and maim. And I thought about that, and I thought, what if we could see the cuts? You know, what if we could actually see the wounds that we inflict on a person's soul in a moment when we use our tongue like a sword? What if in the midst of a harsh argument, we could literally see the cuts that we are inflicting on our loved ones because we are attacking them instead of the problem? Or what if every time we spoke negatively or we gossiped about someone else, that we could literally see the deep cut it made on their soul in that instant. 
there was an article, a story in a, Today's Christian Woman, a magazine, and it said this. It said, while at a restaurant over lunch, Michelle and her coworker Sharon, stopped in the restroom to fix their makeup before returning to their jobs. Their small talk over the mirror, you know, in front of the sink, turned to the subject of who drove them crazy at the office. And immediately, Michelle launched into a two-minute verbal attack on Beth, a mutual coworker. And as Michelle prepared to divulge more specifics, you can guess what happened. Door opened to one of the stalls, and out walked Beth. And in a split second, what seemed like a pressure relief session turned into just this awkward mess. Michelle and Beth stared at each other, embarrassed, in embarrassed panic, and Michelle knew that she couldn't, she couldn't take her words back. It was too late. And then the instant when their eyes met, Beth just fled out the door. With that afternoon, Beth didn't return to work. And the next day, Michelle found out that Beth had resigned, left her job. Other staff members, they kind of openly cheered because Beth must have gotten on a lot of people's nerves, so they thought it was good news. But they didn't know what had happened, and Michelle felt miserable. She wished so much that she had talked to Beth instead of talking about Beth. How often do we do that? She tried to reach Beth several times by phone. She even wrote a letter of apology, but Beth never responded. The tongue is a small thing, but what enormous damage it can do. Sometimes we're even totally unaware of the damage that's done from negative words. Listen to this, more research. A researcher at Tel Aviv University investigated simulated crisis scenarios in a neonatal ICU. And they had actors posing as parents of tiny patients. They gave this, just this variety of feedback to the medical staff. So for example, one rude actor in the study, she played the role of a mom who just complained loudly enough for the medical staff to hear. And she said things like, I knew we should have gone to a better hospital where they don't practice third world medicine. And then the research shows that even such mild unpleasantness was enough to negatively impact the performance of doctors and nurses. In fact, their ability to perform in these crisis situations was negatively affected for the rest of the day. The organizers of the study concluded that rudeness explained more error than the level of, levels of error that have been shown to result from sleep deprivation. Isn't that amazing? Just rudeness can be more devastating than sleep deprivation. There was another study that showed that when doctors spoke rudely to their staff, both accuracy and performance suffered. And the researchers said that relatively benign forms of civility among medical staff members, simple rudeness, have robust implications on medical team collaboration processes and thus on their performance as a team. It said that it steals confidence and it weakens motivation. Now, I read those two pieces of research, and I thought, wow. Well, I wonder how many of our places of work, where we go every day, are being dramatically impacted by negative words. Maybe our negative words. I wonder how often low performance is simply due to negative speech in the workplace. And then I got to thinking about churches and about the profound impact that negativity will have on a church. You see, it only take one, it takes one person's comments to just get a fire of negativity going in a church, creating division and disunity in Christ's church, rendering that church completely ineffective in its mission and its uh, 
work for God. And it usually starts with just one little person coming over and saying, you know, I don't like the way they, whatever, do this or that. What, what's that all about? And I don't like the way such and such does. And sometimes that person gets on board. Yeah, now that you mention it, me too. And then they go tell somebody else and tell somebody else. And before you know, whole church is negative or at least a big chunk of people. And the problem isn't when the person agrees. The problem is also when the person doesn't say anything. When we just give a listening ear to that kind of talk and we don't address it. Instead of, you know, putting water on it to stop it, we douse gasoline on it by giving a listening ear. And then again, there it goes. All through a church, negativity, and it will cause division and disunity in Christ's church. And then I began to wonder... I wonder how many of our homes, how many of our homes are being dramatically impacted by negative words. I mean, I wonder how often a husband just isn't able to function at his optimal level as a husband and as a father because of the use of negative and critical words from his wife. And I wonder in how many homes wives and moms are functioning, are not functioning to their highest potential because negative, critical words from their husbands are stealing their confidence and weakening their motivation. And then what about kids? I wonder how many kids, they are suffering mentally, emotionally, psychologically because they live in a home where negative, critical, critical, harsh words are just the norm. It's how we communicate. I mean, to what degree are our homes, to what degree are the people in our homes being negatively impacted simply by the words we use in our home and the way we use them? Do you know there was a, another study reported in Psychological Science that discovered that the best arguers are those who don't point their fingers. We're going to argue. That's part of life. But how do we do it? It said researchers used statistical analysis to study 59 couples. Spouses who used second-person pronouns, you, tended toward negativity in their actions. Those making use of the first plural pronouns, we, provided positive solutions to problems. So the study concluded, we users may have a sense of shared interest that sparks compromise and other ideas pleasing to both partners, but you sayers, you always, you never, you did this, you did that, on the contrary, tend to criticize, disagree, justify, and otherwise it says just team with negativity. And I just wonder, I just wonder how some homes here today, some marriages might be radically transformed today by simply just making a decision right here, right now. Here's the decision. No more hurtful words. None. It's unacceptable. No longer is this an option in our home. No longer is this an option in our marriage. No more insults. It's not happening in this home. It's not happening in this marriage. No more verbal attacks. No more cutting remarks. No more quarreling over petty things. We will attack our problems together, but we will not attack each other. I wonder how many homes, how many marriages, how many families could be transformed today by making that decision. There's a pastor named Gordon McDonald. He tells a story of a time when he was a young man taking a walk with a close personal friend who was a number of years older than him. So it's kind of like a mentor. And Gordon says, as we, talk, as we walked down the street, the name of a common friend came up, and I said something unkind about that person. He said it was sarcastic. It was cynical. He said it was a put-down. 
He said, my older friend stopped. He turned and he faced me until his face was right in front of mine. And then with these deep, slow words, he said, Gordon, a man who says he loves God would not say a thing like that about a friend. Gordon says he could have put a knife in my ribs and the pain would not have been any less. He says, but you know something, Gordon goes on to say. He says, there have been 10,000 times in the last 20 years that I have been saved from making a jerk of myself because of what his friend said in that moment. He says, when I'm tempted, when I've been tempted to say something unkind about a brother or sister, he says, I hear my friend's voice say, Gordon, a man who says he loves God would not speak in such a way about a friend. What Gordon's friend did for him that day is something that the Bible calls a rebuke. And it's, it's a sharp correction, but, it, but it's done out of love. It, it, it's meant for someone's good. And there's no doubt that Gordon's wise friend was correcting him that day, but in the most loving way possible for his good. And it was his courage to give his loving rebuke that day that benefited Gordon for the rest of his life. And I really believe with all my heart that a wise and loving creator and father, he's rebuking us today, his children. He is lovingly but firmly correcting us, telling us that all these negative forms of speech that we've talked about today, they do not belong to his children. They just don't. We simply should not speak in such a way. Now, I've shared a whole lot of things in this message today, and and I just want to end in a very simple and practical way that I hope will help all of us make some actual much-needed changes when we leave here today. Randy encouraged me so much as he worked with me on this message to just, you know, Kim, at the end, you've got to just nail something that is simple for people to put into practice. That's what we need. So here's what we've come up with. You know, Randy often explains to us that the Christian life is about stopping and starting. That's what it all boils down to. Because we truly trust Christ and his way, we stop doing what he says in his word we should not do because it's not good for us and it's not good for others. And then we start doing what he says in his word to do because it is good for us and it is good for others. So with that in mind, I just want to send, uh, send you off with a verse that I think just perfectly sums up this entire message, and it's kind of our marching orders as we live here, leave here today. It tells us exactly how we need to stop and start when it comes to our freedom of speech. In Ephesians 4.29, it says this, let no harmful language come from your mouth. No harmful language. It doesn't say, you know, just a little bit's okay. No harmful language from our mouths. Only, only, only good words that are helpful in meeting the need. Words that will benefit those who hear them. Two simple steps that we need to put in practice today and for the rest of our lives. First, we determine before we leave here that we will stop allowing harmful language to come from our mouths. No more minimizitis. It's just simply unacceptable. No more. And when it does happen, if it slips out, if something comes out, that we will stop, we will own it, we'll get with God to figure out where the brokenness in our heart is, and we will confess it to God. It's wrong. Is that something he calls sin? It's wrong. It's not good for us. And then if need be, we will say I'm sorry to the whatever person we have hurt in the process. 
So we just determined today we will stop. No more harmful language. Second, we will start using words that are helpful and benefit others. Every time we're in a conversation, we will engage our minds. We'll do what, you know, think before you speak. We've always heard that, right? Think before you speak. We will engage our minds and we'll ask, is what I'm about to say helpful? Is it beneficial? Will it be benefit someone? And if not, we will just slam on the brakes and we will stop ourselves from saying it. And then our speech and our language and our communication, we will always be looking for ways to speak good words that are helpful and beneficial. Or just leave here, stop in the harmful, start helpful and beneficial language. Today's our day. Today's our day to just stop and start. One more time, Ephesians. Let no harmful language come from your mouth. Only good words that are helpful in meeting the need. Words that will benefit those who hear them. Let's pray. God, we confess to you that in our freedom of speech that you've given to us, we're a mess. We're so broken. And uh, we acknowledge that and just confess that to you today, Lord. But I just pray that today is a new day that your spirit has spoken so clearly and loudly to us, that a loving father, you're, you're, you're here with us and you're saying, I want to fix that. I want to heal the brokenness that's inside our hearts so that what comes out can be good and helpful and beneficial. So help us, Lord, help us today to make some radical decisions to stop the harmful language, the harmful words and communication, and to start, to start communicating in ways that are good and helpful and beneficial. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.